Welcome everyone to this installment of the Nincafa 65 Years of Our Huddle Includes Everyone podcast series. In this episode, we have Gloucester South Raiders product Brandon Weeks joining us. Brandon started his football career in the nation's capital playing for the Raiders at Mosquito and then climbing up through Pee Wee and Bantam and then going on to university ball here in the nation's capital and eventually parlaying that into a, a semi-pro or a pro career overseas playing for the Oslo Vikings in the European Leagues. We get a chance to talk to Brandon a little bit about growing up in the south end of Ottawa, growing up playing for the Raiders, what football meant in his life growing up through different stages, and we also talk a little bit about his pro career overseas. We also touch a little bit on a senseless, senseless tragedy that happened in Brandon's life a few years back, and that was the murder of his brother, Ashton Dixon. For those of you familiar with the local football scene, you'll know the name Ashton as one of the premier running backs to come out of the nation's capital in the last decade, and as good a football player as he was uh, a better human being and after after Ashton's death Brandon was kind of faced with one of two choices he could either be bitter hold that anger in or try to give back and try to make any good come out of the 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 senseless death of his brother and you'll see that Brandon really chose to do the latter he's kept his brother's spirit alive starting the foundation and we talk a little bit about that foundation and some of the other things that he's doing to give back in Ashton's name that coming up momentarily hey Brandon thanks a lot for jumping on hey no problem so as mentioned earlier, we have Brandon Weeks. And Brandon, one of the reasons I, I, I really wanted to get you on here today is just uh, you kind of, to me, uh, epitomize the Ottawa football player in the sense that you you probably either coached, played, or had some type of contact with almost every every level and every organization in the Ottawa football scene. So, I mean, if anybody knows the direction that uh, football in Ottawa is heading or has headed or the past of it, um, it would definitely be yourself. So, again, Brandon, I really appreciate you jumping on today. No problems. So let's uh, let's kind of backtrack, as we do with everyone, and let's kind of give the listeners a little bit of a background uh, about yourself, kind of uh, where you grew up, how you got into football. Now, you're originally from Ottawa? Yeah. Well, uh, Calgary, Alberta, moved here young, so I grew up my entire life in Ottawa. Right, right. On the south. Okay. And how old were you when you started playing ball? Uh, seven, but there was no tight, so I had to jump right into Mosquito. And I remember when I, uh, it's funny, because this is going back a ways, and I remember when I was playing Mosquito, and uh, and there was no tight, obviously, back then. Um, Mosquito was only actually about, uh, the whole Mosquito thing was, I think, only about 10 years old at that point. But it was funny, because you had the tight players that were just so undersized, but so gung-ho to play. But there's um, a huge jump between seven, eight, and uh, and ten, eleven, or back then. I think you could play mosquito up until you were until you were twelve. So yeah, like the first experience. I mean, um, for for the listeners that don't know you, uh, saying you're a rather you're a big dude is kind of an understatement. Um, but again, I don't care how big one gets when they're adult years. At seven, um, you know, there's still some growing to do. So how was that, the difference uh, when you arrived on the field, the difference in size between a seven-year-old brand and then, say, some of the 11- and 12-year-old veterans? Oh, it was, it was huge. You know, you're, no helmet ever fits you properly, and you're there trying to just keep your head up. And the old plastic, super-sized grills were what we wore back then. So, No, exactly. Yeah. You're interesting. 
it's uh, kind of music to my ears when I hear about those old uh, the old helmets now. And I'm going to kind of backtrack it just to let people know who did you who was your first club in the Ottawa area? Uh, for Nakapa, I only played for one team, and I played for the Gloucester South Raiders from Mosquito all the way through to Bantam. Okay. So when I was playing Mosquito, my oldest brother was playing Bantam. That's how I uh, started playing for them back when the Gilcrests were like the president. So we're going back a little bit. We're going back, yeah. Now, where was your uh, what was your first position that you played for the Raiders? Corner. I started out on defense. Okay. All the way until uh, Pee Wee. Okay. And uh, when I hit Pee Wee, I played fullback my first year, and then the second year Pee Wee, I was playing tailback. And then Bantam was like that summers where you just I came into my own as like a receiver like this is what I want to play. No, definitely, so. definitely. Now, and I always ask people. I mean, especially people that had kind of a lengthy career such as yourself. What was your first? Um, now you did you had influence. You had obviously you had a family influence. You had your old, older brother who was playing, so it wasn't like all of a sudden you just woke up one day, discovered this football thing, was like, man, I got to get in this. What were your first instincts when you were, um, in terms of when you were first, uh, like when you first stepped on the field, how did you feel? What was it like? I didn't want to play. I didn't want to do like anything. I used to, so my nickname like back then was like, they used to call me Barbie because I were Ken, Ken and Barbie, because I just used to stand there and not do anything. (laughs) And I didn't want to get dirty. I didn't want to like, be a part of this at all. I was just in my own like world. Okay. Was it kind of influence from your brother that you actually jumped into football? Like family thought it was a good thing for you to do at the time? Yeah, I think so. I think that was what my mom and uh, my dad's whole idea was to get us involved in sports. So like we're out and not wasting our summers away. So and it was it. Sorry, what, what what was kind of the turning point for you? Because I remember, I mean, and it's funny, your family sounds very familiar from uh, as mine. And I mean, and I, I think it's a good initiative undertaken by parents in the sense that, you know what, like that was the whole thing in my household. You, you're not just sitting here gathering dust all summer or you're not going to. So it was always um, there was always some degree of, uh, you know, we're, we're enrolling you in this, you're playing this. And I mean, obviously, uh, my parents would give me kind of uh first dibs in terms of what I wanted to do. But if I didn't come up with something, Lord knows they were having me do it. And and we were always kind of busy. I remember it sounds kind of familiar to uh, some of the other sports I might have played where I might not have been quite as into them, but I was out and being active and kind of uh, more of a, 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 I don't want to say a spectator, but let's say not an active participant at times. Um, what was kind of the turning point for you? When did you kind of evolve? Because, I mean, if people saw you um, – Anybody who got the chance to see you play in university or your post-university career um, obviously would be would be shocked by you saying that. So when was kind of the turning point for you in your football career when you really uh, when you really started to embrace this and thought, hey, this is uh, I'm liking this. Uh, it was my last year of Bantam was where I was like, wow, like me and a couple of all the guys that I played with, like the Karams, Nick Reynolds. Uh, the, the Kennedy twins, like we had a really good team. Like we're like we're actually good. So at that point, it was like you're getting invited to a bunch of like football camps, like university camps, right? 
And I got invited to Ron Diaz's uh, All Pro Camp, mm-hmm. and then that was like my first taste of American style coaches. And it's funny, right? Like to them, it's like you know how football is. It's a meat market. You see this guy come out, and he's six foot three, one hundred and ninety pounds, and they're just like, "Who are you, and where are you from?" Right, exactly. So that was like the turning point. And then I went into the OVFL, which is now like OPFL. But for Myers under uh, Dom Arecki as head coach. And like that just changed my entire outlook on football. I was like, I can be really good at this. It's kind of interesting because I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, and I mean, full credit to your, for your, a, your, your parents putting you into it. And then B, you kind of just, persevering over years because it's kind of an interesting story whereas I hear from a lot of guys I talk to you know there was that instant uh, instantaneous love of the sport or the first time they stepped on the field they were in awe or you know just everybody has a different story and in your case it's not it's not exactly that crystal clear I mean for those uh, and I mean most people are going to know the different levels that uh, that NACAFA offers but I mean Mosquito, Pee Wee, and Bantam, you got several years in there. You like you got a you know, four or five years between your well, especially if you start at seven, we're talking more than four or five years. So I mean you've got a good half decade in between the the time when you started playing to the time you really uh, I don't want to say embraced it, but you you really fell in love with it. And I mean that's when you're when you're fifteen years old or sixteen years old, um five years is akin to half a lifetime you know you don't remember what happened before you were five so it's kind of interesting i find that um very fascinating that somebody of your skill set and your skill level really didn't uh, kind of take off or develop the full love for it until um until you got to ban now let's backtrack a little amongst your peewee years your um your, your mosquito years and even the Bantam years, were you involved in other sports at the time? Was there anything rivaling football for your time or something else you thought you wanted to do? No, I was just like the typical kid who would play basketball at the basketball court, did pick up stuff like nothing too crazy. Like I didn't start playing for uh, a club ball team until grade 11, high school, grade 12, grade 11 where I was just kind of like, if I'm not going to play football, I'll play basketball or, like, I did soccer and, like, elementary and intermediate, but I didn't, I didn't like that sport whatsoever. <laughs> well, it's funny. I tell everybody that I, uh, when I'm coaching overseas and they're asking about sports back home, I know, at, at least in my generation, I think it's still continued. I mean, now it's it's the infrastructure in soccer has got a lot greater, the the pro league. So, I mean, it's really, it's growing leaps and bounds. But I always joke that, I mean, I think everybody of my age, every person I know my age, we played at least one or two years of soccer, um, but, but no more than, you know, four years of soccer type of thing. Like it was that thing we did from seven to 12 and then it was done. And I mean, that's not a knock on the sport. I mean, it's growing exponentially. The infrastructure's there, the pro leagues. But it was just kind of a a different world back then. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. No, I totally agree with that. Now, I'm going to, uh, I don't want to get too, too heavy here, but it's something I always ask. And I mean, I ask of almost everybody because, I mean, I, I, I say, I talk about football and regardless of, of what your your background is, your race, your socioeconomic background, 
Um, you know, there's just so much diversity within the sport of football. I mean, even position wise, I often say it's funny because there's no other sport. I've said it, you know, people have been listening. It's, I sound like a broken record just because um, I've said it numerous times that, you know, you get no other of the of the major sports that we play in, in, in North America. And, and that I can think of worldwide, actually, team sports, where you have such a diversity. And forget about every everything else we talk about. I'm talking a diversity of just the athletes playing. I mean, an offensive tackle and a wide receiver have two completely or, or a whole completely different set of, of, of tools or skill sets or athletic abilities. And one has no chance at playing the other's position. Like I always say. Uh, a, a pro offensive tackle would be hard pressed to play a high school receiver and a pro receiver would be hard pressed to play high school tackle. I mean, that's the, the kind of the, the, the disparity or if you will, not disparity, but the, um, the, the, the differences in, um, in their actual skill set. So, I mean, when you stepped on the football field for the first time, um, you're, you're of that age where Ottawa has been, drastically changing over the course of say 30 40 50 years the 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 makeup of the people in the city and whatnot now what was when you stepped on that field how did you or the first time you played what was the makeup of your team um were there were there uh, kids from different backgrounds at the Raiders at that time oh yeah yeah we were from everywhere within like the this if you go into like ethnic backgrounds there was like there were young black kids, young Lebanese kids, young white kids. We had a girl on our team. I think for the first, oh yeah, my entire every level I played on on Raiders, there was always a girl on our team. So yeah, it was just crazy. That was a good mix of as a kid. Diversity has always been in football, no matter what. Yeah, sorry about that, Brandon, and I actually uh, interrupted there. So you were saying that you found that the diversity has always been in the football. How do you compare it to, say, again, as you were getting a little older, how do you compare the, the, the on-field or the football environment compared to, to say, what you might have experienced in real life? I mean, obviously, 7, 8, it's a little young. You don't have the active memories of that. But when you were getting to be 12, 13, 14, how did you find – kind of the the circle or the you know the family within football or the circle within football we'll call it compared to the outside of football was it um more cohesive more or more it was all the family like within sorry Wayne but like at practice there was no you never saw like color right it wasn't a thing and if you know where the Raiders field is in Ottawa it's right behind the Bank Street Police Station, right? So never I had cops who are coaches. I've played with guys who are now cops from Raiders and like that whole diversity thing like we never saw it and we always went out to eat after games as like especially in Bantam we would go to Camp Fung Chinese restaurant just like always always diverse and family-wise, like, none of this. Uh, there were no clicks back then, if you want to put it. That's the best way to put it. No, which is interesting, which is interesting. I mean, you find it, and again, uh, not that there's the perfect environment, in, and I'm sure you can look at other teams that have had other dis- uh, other uh, stories or it hasn't been as, uh, as, um, as, as, I guess, for lack of a better term, as good a story as what you're saying. 
or as good a uh, kind of tight knit group. But I mean, you do hear it a lot within that football community that, I mean, you just, it's one of the things an earlier guest, um, Ron O'Mara had to say, and he, he was just saying, it was like, because of what you're trying to accomplish and because of the need of your, your 11 teammates to, to function as a cohesive unit, it's almost like every egos, uh, beliefs even for that matter preconceived notions prejudice they're all kind of left at the door and and I did find growing up for the most part I mean it's like anything else there is no and I can't stress enough there is no perfect environment in the world but on the other hand I, I did find of all the sports I played and it's not a knock on the others the others uh, I had some great coaches and other sports some some great teams but this was more the the uh, a, a bit more of an inclusive environment I found well I found it yeah sorry no no go ahead no, to like with Ron, the cohesive unit and the common goal, that was what it was like in up until Bantam. After Bantam football, it's you're 15, 16, and you're dealing with like the everyday things outside, especially in Ottawa South at that point in time. Right. It's totally different. And then now you're going to play for like the top level clubs, like either Cumberland or Myers doing OV traveling the province. And that's where you kind of saw the huge difference between like the two clubs in the city. One's in the heart of the West End and one was Orleans back then, right? Where now oh, for- we gotta play we gotta play the thugs, right? For right. a diverse team and you go to this team then and it's predominantly white. There were black guys and whatnot on the team, but predominantly white. No, it's funny because that makeup is still there. And in CAF, I find is is funny for that in the sense that the various teams they have different uh, different makeups and different backgrounds, and and it's kind of interesting to, especially to see the um, the outside in perspective, the the outside looking in perspective. Now, I'm going to kind of shift gears a little here, for, just for for some of our listeners that aren't familiar with it. And if you're if you're comfortable talking about it, um, I just want to touch on something you said there. Because um, I'm well aware of it, and some might not be. But can you talk about some of the challenges and and where football might have helped you in terms of some of the challenges in the south end of Ottawa back in the uh, I guess it would have been like the the '90s, the early 2000s, this time frame. The swarming era, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Because at that time too, I was going to St. Pat, so we're we had that stigma. Typical St. Pat's kid, right? Right, right. I think for a lot of guys who played football at St. Pat's, you either played Canterbury Mustangs or for the Raiders. So you had a lot of police involvement at a young age where you just understood that they were the authority that, you know, within football, you just learn to respect people no matter what they what it is. But then when you're constantly being harass at that point as a young teenager it was just it was it wasn't uh, a good time that's for sure no, especially I, when you're trying to get home from like practice right and it's, it's visible I'm going home from practice I have a big bag of football stuff or if you didn't have a bag because you, you had to carry your shoulder pads over your helmet home it was oh you fit the description I've heard that 
throughout my entire high school career. No, unfortunately, and it's one of those things, I mean, without uh, without getting too much into it or completely changing the context of what we're talking about, I mean, it, it, it's it's very real. I mean, I've had it even in my adult years and much more recently than, um, than, than, than really one would think or one cares to believe. Um, and I mean, the worst part about it is, is fit the description. I mean, fit whose description? I, I remember just a quick story that I'm sure you can appreciate um, just from what you're from in my adult years where I, I fit the description. Well, um, for those that don't know, I'm, I'm six, two and a half, almost six, three. And, um, the description was basically a, a person of color. And that was the only matching thing. Like the description, the person who had given the, the description clearly had said a shorter person. Um, I, I believe at the time the, the person was supposed to be wearing boots. I think I had flip-flops on and they were in jeans and they were supposed to be a little darker. So, I mean, the, the only fitting of description that was there was truly just, you know, um, you're, you're, you're a person of color. Yeah. And so I can only imagine, um, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to make things, uh, worse than I did. I got lucky. I was spared a lot of that, um, throughout my younger years. Um, you know, just kind of, uh, where I was in the city. Um, it reared its ugly head and it happened on more than one occasion and, and it still continues to happen. But I, I, I could not even imagine, um, going through that on a consistent basis, especially in your formative years, because it's one thing for me to deal with it as a, as a, as a full grown man, it doesn't make it any, any better for that matter, or any more acceptable. But I mean, I, I think we both agree at this point in our lives, we kind of have a better tool set at our disposal to deal with that crap. Yeah. Um, but now I'll ask you then at this, because one of the things I always find interesting when I talk to you, man, and, uh, and one of the reasons I love chatting with you and, and, and have you on here is even what you were talking about earlier, like some of the, the young guys um, that when you were, sorry, when you were younger and you were talking about some of your coaches being in the authority role, some of those cops, some of your teammates going up and you're really a guy, Brandon, that I talked to and you, you kind of tell the, you speak the truth. You know what I mean? You're not a jaded guy. I listen to some people and it's kind of like, okay. And I get it. And I get, you know, I, I, there's, I, I always say I kind of won a lottery because, I mean, my life has not been filled with, with really bad experiences. And I can only imagine what, what the breaking point is for somebody. And then you become that jaded. Yeah. I mean, in your case, one, and, and so even when talking to them, rather, um, you know, you got to get up, listen carefully, but decipher some of the stuff because once you get that jaded, it, it, it's tough to turn around. In your case, you have every reason to be like, I mean, there's, there's no question about that, but you still, and I don't want to say a positive attitude because I'm not, I don't want to put this, um, you know, kind of uh, gumdrops, lollipops on it and big smile, but you, you have a very pragmatic approach. You, you have the ability to deal with individuals on an individual basis and, and you kind of judge the person much, much like I'm sure you want to be judged based on the person's character. How did you, how did you develop that as a teenager being able to kind of, or growing through what you went through, but still being able to judge each individual human. Do you understand what I'm asking? Cause I can well, around about what. Well, that, I, I get it. Like that was developed through playing Raiders, having military guys run huh, some of our practices because they were like the, the parent of a kid. And it just showed us like, always know your self-worth. He would say that he's like if you're if i'm gonna do it you're gonna do it if this person's gonna do it 
you have to do it together. So it's just teaching that mentality to move as like one from Pee Wee until like Banto and all these guys having that police presence there from a coach or sometimes like they would start their shift and come over because you see there's games going on and or a practice and they just talk to you to tell you hey like keep doing what you're doing this is like the right path to be on and that just taught me like if these guys can take the time out of their day to talk to us why wouldn't i treat every other person like that no, and I, and hopefully, like I said, there's there's uh, I've I've really enjoyed being able to do this in the CAF um, podcast series, and there's just been kind of points that I kind of wish I could highlight or even just take snippets of it and and put together a, a kind of a highlight, uh, not real because it's not it's audio, but I think you know what I mean. Yeah. And just have listeners that because I think what you said there is 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 really poignant and it's really important for younger guys and the next generation to kind of, you know, listen to what you're saying and have that ability to approach it the way you have. Because again, there's no crap. You're not, we're not here in any type of denial as to where we're at as a state. There needs to, as a state, I mean, as a a state of affairs. Um, One of the last guests I talked with, uh, Nate Bahar, very similar message. And the thing that I love that the two of you have done is again, you, you, you acknowledge and are aware that there's the, you know, there's a lot of problems in society right now, and there's a lot of challenges that face different people. But on the other hand, um, A, you both put a lot of stock on self-value. And that doesn't mean fake bravado, fake arrogance, being anything like that. I mean, we grow out, and that's, I mean, some grow into it, grow out of it, not fake cockiness, but that true self-value. And, and it's something that I, I can't stress enough or I, I think is a message that needs to be delivered more often to some of our youth is to have that that self-value that self-worth that realize that you know you're, you're part of a society or you're part of a world that's what upwards of eight billion now or something to that effect but on the other hand you do have um, a certain self-worth and the other thing is and it's one of the first things weeks that I think we we kind of learn as a little kid but it's like I remember seeing a poster everything I needed to know I I, I learned in kindergarten and uh, and it's one of those things you learn it in kindergarten but we kind of forget it and we lose sight of how simple but accurate it is and it's kind of like you know treat others the way you want to be treated and, and you kind of touched on it in a much more elaborate way than I said it but just a you know deal with the individual the way that you would want to be dealt with as an individual. If you take pride in what you're doing and in yourself, not just on the sports field, but as a, as a, as a human being and a member of society, um, that goes a long way. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. Cause I mean, it is interesting and, and there's a lot of kids going through tough stuff. And, um, and the thing is, is that once you lose a young athlete or a young person, doesn't have to be an athlete, once you lose them down to that path of being jaded or, and, 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 you know, deservedly so, it's not through fault, it's just harder when you're younger, but once you lose in that path, it's awfully hard to come back. So I appreciate you kind of touching on that. And it's uh, kind of funny or, or ironic in the sense that, um, that I think there's a clear message there, dude, just because the, the, we talked with Nate, Nate Bahar brought it up, Ron O'Mara brought it up. So, again, appreciate you uh, kind of touching on that. So let's shift gears a little bit. We'll step out of that zone for a minute and get back to uh, Brandon Weeks, strictly the football player. So now you're in Bantam and you've decided this, you know what, I like this game and <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty dang good at it. 
what was um when did you start thinking about seriously okay you know what um I'm going to leverage this into an education uh, university and, and, and above and beyond. When, when was that kind of a thought for you? Was it at the Ron Diaz camp or was uh, there I, any other? I wasn't thinking about, I'll be honest. Like I, I wasn't thinking education wise. I was just thinking like, Oh, maybe I'll make it. But uh, yeah, at 16, the Diaz camp opened my eyes. And then I went to my first like Canadian camp when, which was at Ottawa U under uh, Denis Pichet. And then, like, Frank Azzi was there and Kenny Branco. And it was, it was like, uh, it was different to walk in back when the locker room was at the sports complex. So that right, was right. my first interaction with the Gigi's where I ended up playing for a couple years. So, but even then... You know, that's when I realized, like, hey, one, I'm a receiver. I'm not a slot back. Like, I'm a wide receiver. So that was, like, the turning point, too, where you have to pick one, right? Mm-hmm. And I started honing my craft as a wide receiver. So everything that I did, I was like, I want to be a wide O. I want to be a wide O. It's very cool. So that was that. Well, I, sorry. Sorry, I interrupted again, but what I was saying is I'll ask you a little bit about, um, about your experience at Ottawa U. Now, when you were headed to Ottawa U, there were other schools that obviously had interest. You had, you developed a, a reputation. You'd become quite the athlete. What, uh, what were your choices that you'd kind of narrowed it down to and what made you choose Ottawa U? Staying at home was, was big. And I had the most interaction, the most truthful and like honest interaction was with, Coach Piche and Coach Laramie. So that was like the deciding factor because I was going to go to Concordia. Like that's where I wanted to go. But okay. multiple conversations and then Coach Laramie coming out to my house during a snowstorm. And it was like, yeah, this is where I should be. Well, it's funny because you bring up both Coach D- Danny Laramie and Denis Pichet, both two guys that I'm very familiar with and uh, and two that were hoping to get on here at some point. I know that Coach Pichet we're going to have on in the uh, in the near future. And I mean, the thing that I've the, – the, what I love about the both of them is they're different personalities, but they're very similar, if that makes any sense when it comes to it. And one of the things is, is that I've often said with Coach Pichet um, – you know, he's going to tell you what it is. If it's black, it's black. If it's white, it's white. He's not going to sugarcoat. He's not going to dance around. And some people have a hard time with that. Some people have a hard time with the the, the straight truth not being sugarcoated. But, I mean, the one thing is if, if, you, if you accept that or if you want that, which I think we should all strive for, um, he's going to be your guy. And, I mean, you're going to have frank discussions. You know exactly where you stand with both of them. Um, two guys that I think were instrumental in kind of um, not rebuilding the Ottawa U program because, I mean, it wasn't uh, – they, they had won a Vanier, but then the, the cupboards were bare after the Vanier, and two guys that kind of took that thing up and built it to a juggernaut in those uh, mid-2000s years where, I mean, they were, you know, perennial um, 
top 10 constantly in the in the hunt for the OUA um, competing constantly like uh, not just competing but beating the westerns and the max of the world consistently and I mean it, it stems a lot so I find it interesting that you kind of um, that that you were mentioning go both uh, kind of coach Pichet and coach Laramie were the turning point because I think that was probably could be said for a lot of players there now when you got to Ottawa you how did you find it different than your uh, than your youth playing day say in the uh, OPFL or for Nakafa what was the biggest jump you had to make what was the biggest difference or jump you found you had to make it was fast like fast do you know that's a lot it's just this the jump from you're the guy to like you're just a guy and i was kind of like blown back by it but i was lucky enough to get in for winter and go through uh spring camp and runs my very first morning run i got sent home because i was late i was on time but that's late <laughs> yes, my very first one so like that was like huge right it was time management and whatnot and I still didn't listen and learn from things being told to me right so that ended up being like a big my own demise but uh yeah just getting into the speed of the game uh learning the coverages because like I'm going to be honest, a lot of times coming up through the CAFA and OVFL, they're not teaching you what cover three is. They're like, this is the play. Run your route. You're not learning about option routes. You're not learning how to bend it back in. Like, this simple things that I look at now and we can talk about and we talk about all the time, I never knew. And, like, my, I had to do, we had to do a test. I remember this. And JP corrected my test, JP Aslan. And there was a comment left, and I was just like, yeah, you're right. Like, I wasn't paying attention to the playbook. I was just, I was overwhelmed, right? And eventually I got It's funny that you bring that up, because, I mean, you're not the first guy to kind of talk, talk in detail to that jump. And I've talked to a lot of pro players and they've commented that they felt the jump was, although the skill level is phenomenal at the pros, they're not downplaying that, but they felt that almost the jump for them was higher going from high school to, to college um, versus say college to the pros. And I mean, that's one of the things um, myself having coached university that I don't take for granted because there's a wide range of programs out there. And I mean, there's different budgets within the high schools. I mean, in a lot of cases in high schools, and it's this isn't meant as a negative, it's just, it's the reality, it is what it is. Um, you have maybe two coaches because of the time they practice, two good coaches, solid coaches, but you can only get so much done. I mean, one of the things I found with NACAF, the, the bit of the advantage it does have over high school, and this now, and please, anybody listening, I'm not getting into a high school versus NACAF debate. I played both. I think both were <laughs> instrumental. So I don't want to kind of open that. Uh, that hornet's nest but but what I'm saying is just with practices in the evening people are more are a little more flexible with their time so you tended to have larger coaching staffs that's not applicable for every high school there's high schools with full out coaching staffs um, you know some high schools hit the jackpot where they have one heck of a uh, one heck of a football coach that happens to be um, 
a teacher at the school. And so, I mean, that sets the, the groundwork and you have some really solid programs. But like I said, there's kind of, um, I don't want to say all over the map, but they're varied. And that's one of the biggest things I found when um, getting incoming uh, freshmen at, at university is just the, the diversity in terms of their knowledge of, um, of, of just football, their football IQ versus their natural skill. I mean, everybody's skilled. There's no getting out of that. That's why they kind of, you know, like you said, you go from being a big fish in a small pond to that uh, small fish in a big pond or just a, an everyday player. And it's these things that kind of separate you. Um, going back to when you, you chose now, you're talking about the differences or you mentioned the speed factor. Do you have any advice, especially, I mean, and it's funny because for a lot of incoming freshmen, it's almost getting pushed back with this whole COVID-19 thing where there are no youth sports. But do you have any advice for any um, players that are going into their last year of high school or kids that were supposed to go into their first year? Advice for guys going into their first year university, how to kind of absorb that, how to keep from being overwhelmed? If you are already in contact with one of your coaches and you made your mind up, I highly suggest getting some form of the playbook sent to you and ask questions from now so you can understand it. Or if there's guys who are already at the school that you know, become their best friend for the summer for until December because it's canceled until December. I don't know if there's going to be any kind of practices or whatnot, but yeah, like just take a deep breath and take a step back and be, be the guy who asks the questions. That's the thing. Don't wait for someone else to ask that question. Just put your hand up and be like, Oh, well, what do you mean by whatever it is that you're confused with? No, definitely. And I mean, it's like I said, it's kind of a trying times right now. None that we've ever seen in our lifetime. So, I mean, it's a double whammy. I know going into university as a freshman was tough to begin with. You're overwhelmed under normal circumstances. And now it's kind of like you're you're stuck at the starting line and there's you don't know what's happening. So I appreciate you. Uh, I appreciate you kind of giving uh, any little bit of advice. I'm sure helps some of our younger guys out there listening. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little a bit here and then I want to come back into your coaching career before I let you go, Brandon. Yeah. Now, I just want to talk um, a little bit. I don't want to get too much into it because, I mean, a lot of the the a lot of the listeners um are aware of what's happened. And, and again, we talked about your outlook on life. Now we had kind of talked about before your experiences growing up, how you've not been jaded, how you've kind of looked at things in the positive way. And I mean, for, for a lot of those that don't know, I mean, you've been struck in different ways. And I mean, probably I, w- I would think the large, the biggest tragedy uh, amongst everything we were talking about occurred three years ago, um, just over three years ago when your when your brother, and I mean, uh, I'm not going to mince words here, was, was senselessly murdered um, outside an Ottawa club. Now, I don't want to get into any real heavy conversation. I don't want to, you know, and again, I, I'm always cautious with Brandon because I don't, I don't want to kind of relive it. We're not looking at that type of thing. But what I do want to talk about, because I think this part's important, is just kind of how you've approached things afterwards. Again, you can go down one or two paths. Um, you can become jaded, become angry, kind of go down and continue down that path, or you can still be angry you can still be freaking pissed off 
but kind of turn that into, I don't want to say a positive because here's the thing. I mean, I, I always say, and I think you'll agree with me. Um, there's a lot of things that are going to be built that are good things because of every the efforts that, um, that Ashton's mom, that, uh, you know, that family members that everybody's doing. So that's going to be positive future. But at the end of the day, um, when, when, when a 25 year old with a, an incredible future, um, it falls victim to that I don't, I don't, I don't find positive out of it. Am I making sense when I say that? Kind of like, uh, yeah, I get it. I get what you're saying. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I think all the things building up, there's stuff that could come of it and these things are positive, but again, it's hard to look at the overall thing and say, Hey, you know what? Like I look right now and, and Ashton should be 28. Like, I mean, that's still, that's still an incredibly young man. So I'll, I'll ask you this without going on anymore, Brandon, how, how did you kind of, deal with it moving forward and and be the brand in weeks i know because i like i told uh, people that don't know you well i know you well and, and and again you have a realistic non-jaded but pragmatic approach to life you treat individuals as individuals and you've turned your life experience into your personal growth as a man and, and i'm and I, i'm going on a little here because I, I really kind of want to strike a chord with some of our younger listeners and so how did you kind of after get get through the the grief and i mean it never ends but how did you kind of get through the grief and then what are some of the things that uh that you and your family have done to kind of uh keep ashton's memory alive well the, like through the grief no matter what i've always been like me and my brothers are extremely extremely close so when that had happened it was still just me and my brothers that's how we deal with it, right? Like we talk about it amongst each other. We lean on each other for whatever situation we may have, how we want to like express our emotion, right? For like, we still go through it as of today, especially having seen the video come out and have to relive it three years later to be like, what you know like like what it's just a question mark right so mm -hmm. that's how i that's how i deal with it no and again i i don't want to stay too long on it because but then again, like I, but I, then you have to look at the positives that we have coming from this right we started the ash and dixon youth empowerment like my brother was a phenomenal football player we came out through the raiders also Played Cumberland, played Sooners. Like he, he touched every organization of like football, right? In the CAFA, OB, CGFL, University. So he was very well known, very well liked. So now we're doing the same. We're trying to create this. Youth empowerment, which we have done, I'm not saying trying to create, we did it. My mom was very, very, very uh, dedicated to that along with Jen. So now we're just trying to reach out to the youth who are coming from or don't have mentors, right? Or can't go and talk to your coach or need help with tutoring or just a place to get homework done, right? Because your home life isn't what it should be or 
you think it should be. Mm-hmm. So we're just trying to like keep his legacy going by doing what he loved to do too, right? Which was help the kids. No, I've got to say one heck of a legacy because I mean, he, um, I had the opportunity for, uh, for like a couple weeks in one game to coach him at the, the invaders and uh, <laughs> funny story for you. He'd come out and they introduced himself. Really nice young man. He was just coming off of, I believe he still is the all time leading rusher at St. Effects. Yeah. Um, I think he still holds that mark. So, I mean, he made his mark out East was a star player. I mean, people still, um, I was out for those that don't know. I was out at St. Mary's, uh, uh, a couple years ago, and and his name is still very well known amongst uh, players, not just um, obviously St. Effects players, but rival players and the football community at large. I mean, Halifax is a good um, like two and a half, three hours from Antigonish, but but people in Halifax knew who he was. So I mean, he's touched a lot of lives, and it was he'd come out for Invaders, and he was looking to kind of. Uh, kind of open up he realized okay cfl he might not got get the the justified look he deserved as a running back but he was a multi-talented athlete so he wanted to play some slot and interesting kind of story it's uh, you would know the guys for a lot of listeners the names won't mean anything but you'll get a kick out of it and we were going through a little bit of quarterback turmoil at the time our, our starter had just kind of got injured and so we we're back and forth we we're having trouble getting the ball down the field and i remember going to the offensive coordinators here and i thought the oc was going to punch me because i was just getting I was getting under uh, coach heaney's skin and i'm like would you just throw the damn hitch to Dixon, throw him four or five hitches so we get him some touches so I don't lose this kid. This kid's a great kid. He's going to make it, but we can't get him the ball 10 yards downfield yet. So please, can we just throw him a hitch and let him do his thing, and then we'll worry about it next week. But, I mean, that's the memory. And, I mean, again, he'd come out looking to, to kind of build on some film for the pros. Um, he, had, uh, he wasn't complaining, and we were having serious QB issues at the time. Um, but it was still always, always positive. And, um, and like I said, my brief interaction was phenomenal and everybody I've ever talked to, um, has nothing but great things. And like I said, trust me when I tell you his legacy lives large out East. So, I mean, yourself, your mom, you guys have set that up now. Can you again, um, go over the foundation and the website, uh, just so people know, uh, that you set up, uh, in Ashton's memory. Yeah. So, the foundation is uh, Ashton Dixon Youth Empowerment. Website's uh, And if you were to get on now, like, we're doing uh, virtual content. We're like uh, speaking about nutrition, just speed training, so guys can get on and understand what it takes to put in the extra work or how to run properly. How, what you should be eating and not necessarily telling you what to eat, but a guideline to understanding, Hey, like if I eat this in a year from now, my body's going to react this way because of all these trans fats that I'm putting in, mm-hmm. you know, um, we're starting to, well, with COVID going on, a lot of things got shut down. So we weren't able to do the open gym, which would be, uh, being ran out of Rideau High School on Friday nights, open gym basketballs, and there's going to be like myself there and a few other older guys to like mentor these young kids away from those friends who are pulling you into a different type of lifestyle. 
and understanding the difference between like who your friend is and who your true friend is. There's there's a, a big difference there. Listen to your parents, they see them first. Uh, we're also doing um, the camp is canceled this year for like the free uh, youth camp that we do, the sportsmanship camp due to COVID, but that'll be back next year, hopefully. And uh, there's videos just on like the eight pillars that we have. So anytime you scroll over the pillar, a video will pop up and explain what it means to the organization and how you as an athlete can reflect these like morals that we're trying to instill in the youth right now. Oh, very cool, man. Yeah. Very cool. Well, what we'll do is I'll also, um, we'll, we'll go ahead and any listeners in the description of the, uh, the podcast of this podcast in the series, we'll definitely make sure that that webpage is up there. And, and, um, and there's also no reason when this is distributed throughout the CAFA that we'll, uh, we'll put the website up there. So be by all means, check it out. And uh, again, weeks, I think that's great stuff that you guys are doing. I appreciate you talking about it because I know it's not easy and, and I can't stress to people enough. I mean, there's the good that's coming out of it, but part of it, uh, not to embarrass you here or anything, but uh, I think a lot of younger people can look at you as a role model, look at you as an example. And I mean, you've, and, and no life is perfect. There's none of that. I, I don't think there's any more ultimate tragedy than losing a, a family at that young age. The fact that you were able to kind of, you know, I mean, you grieved, obviously. It, 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 I don't think it ever gets better. But on the other hand, you could even, you could have gone down two paths. You talk about these young kids you're mentoring that are being pulled into a different direction. Even as an adult, man, I think we can go into – there's that fork in the road. There's many forks in the road, and we can go down one of two paths. And, I mean, uh, and, and clearly you, the path you've taken, bud, is um, – is yeah a great uh, great example and, and and role model for some of the younger youth. So, again, appreciate you talking that and lighten things up and to kind of uh, close things down. What's uh, what's uh, and you know what is funny because we always get to talking, man, and I and I ran out of time, so I've never I didn't get a chance to talk about your uh, your, your days after university with the Oslo Vikings. Um, but I'll, I'll touch on that for people that don't know because we'll probably be doing a little bit of a series a little later. Brandon actually played uh, in Europe. Um, of all places, Oslo, Norway, really quickly. And again, I kind of doing the jump from university to you playing uh, pro ball in Europe. But what was it like playing in Oslo, Norway? <laughs> that was a time. That was that was, <laughs> a, that was a great time. Um, you know all about it. But uh, yeah, like, that's the thing. Like, getting overseas is the place why I would never go if it wasn't for football like I wouldn't wake up like hey I'm gonna visit Oslo today no but when I got there like that organization world-class organization very welcoming they just I think it's just like the Norwegians culture those Vikings man great (laughs) great great funny there's guys that are still there that you have played with the Gautas the Dolls Gary oh man should it, shouldn't it be Gari? Gari. Yes, Gari. Yeah. Uh, it, it's funny you bring that because right when I asked you, you had that chuckle. I, I, you can't see me, but I had a grin ear to ear. And and I love what you said too, is that 
here's the thing is I always said one of the reasons I chose to, just kind of a disclaimer I also played in, in Oslo a little bit before uh, a little bit before weeks as I have a few more gray hair hairs than, than Brandon does but um, I, I, I my reasoning was very similar to what you said man I um I, my thought was like you know I, there's nothing against Oslo, Norway. I think it's probably a beautiful place. I think Norway is probably very interesting. But when I look at, you know, the, 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 how much time I'm going to have in life and what is the likelihood of me actually going and visiting Oslo, I say, this is a great opportunity. And, and I tell kids, I mean, one of the great things with football, and I think you'll attest to this, is that if you strive for greatness, um, you might not always accomplish exactly what you want in the game, and you might not reach that that pinnacle that some guys are lucky enough to do, and some guys aren't. Um, you know, everybody strives to play NFL or CFL. Some guys do, some guys don't. But there's so many collaterals that happen on the way, or on that path, or on that journey. And I mean, um, like I always say, I, I got paid to do something I love, and I got to see planet Earth or Western Europe exactly. and exactly. That's just it. Yeah. That that whole goal as a kid, or when you finally get the passion and the love for the game, is like I want to be paid. It doesn't matter what it is, where it is. The goal is to be paid. Obviously, the lucrative contracts are. Who everyone wants to go to the NFL, but a lot of guys they they shun overseas, not knowing like that's going to be the best time of your life. Some of my closest friends are guys from the Vikings. One in particular, like we talk every single day, every day, without fail, about life, about random things, about the 2012 season, uh, the 2014 season when he got got out. Like it's unreal the bonds that I made with a lot of those guys. A hundred percent. Like I said, it's just. Um, you know, I can't say enough. And what you're saying is, I mean, I'd be flogging a dead horse because I would just be agreeing wholeheartedly. I mean, I was lucky enough to play. Um, I played in France. And to this day, I mean, um, you know, it, with technology being what it was um, during the whole quarantine and everything, I ended up reconnecting. I don't want to say reconnecting like we hadn't been talking, but, you know, we kind of messaged each other talk. And because both countries were kind of in a quarantine um, get the opportunity to FaceTime or, or WhatsApp them or whatever, or video call them. And, and I mean, there are people that I played with in a foreign country 25 years ago, yet they're lifelong friends. And I mean, the, the life experience it brings to the table, again, like you said, I mean, there's, there's the life-changing aspect of the lucrative NFL contract. But I remember when I coached at Ottawa U, I, I counseled every single player. I'm like, chase your dreams. Go after your dreams. You only get to do this once in your life, this whole football thing. And so by all means, I'm not discouraging or, or, or telling you, I don't even use the word be realistic, chase your dreams. I said, but if it doesn't pan out, embrace some of the, the – embrace some of the benefits or rewards of your hard work that might not have been the final goal. And I know a couple of players, I mean, um, um, ET who you might know with the, um, with the red blocks right now, it's all right. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm telling him like, you know, cause we had a long talk on one of our practices once and he was, and you know, he was a defensive lineman that, uh, that, you know, CFL traditionally not a Canadian position. I'm like, I, I, I have no doubt you have the skill set and the, and the talent to play in the CFL, but if that doesn't work for you, man, like 
consider Europe. And we had a long talk. And I mean, fortunately, the CFL panned out for him and he was given that shot and he ran with it. But for every ET, there was a couple other players I talked to on that roster. And I remember you and I, you, you asking questions about Europe. And I think I even told you at the time, man, like it's just I, I, I commend it to everybody because, I mean, it's like that whole like I always say, I question. I learned a lot in university. I learned a lot about, you know, people, human nature, myself. But I think I learned just as much playing ball in Europe about myself, about the rest of the planet. Um, for those that don't know, currently I'm, I'm, I'm back coaching in Europe because I've fallen in love with the idea. So I kind of split my time between um, yeah. between coaching Canada and coaching uh, overseas. And I mean, it's just a phenomenal experience. So, I mean, again, I appreciate you you talking to it a bit. We'll make sure that some of the uh, the Viking guys, uh, you know, we'll definitely make sure that they're aware of this. And uh, any other Vikings you want to give a shout out to before we uh, kind of get off the topic? Uh, Mo Money, Bogey, uh, Jesse, uh, Derek Mann, now the head coach out there. Oh, man. Galta, Paulsbo, Homer. Or like just I, I can go on and on, man. Just the whole 2012-2014 team. Um uh, Coach Govero, who is also like a big push and me getting out there also. Former Viking, former GG. Like it's crazy. Uh, yeah, no go Govero was there when I was when I was playing. And it's funny, I kind of put you on the spot there because I hate when people do it to me. When you talk about, yeah, you want to give a shout out to anybody, as I know if you ask me, do I want to give a shout out to any of my, uh, you know, my players from this year, last year when I played? It's like, yeah, the entire team. Like, yeah. um, it's just great. And it's just a, it's a different mindset. So, I mean, any guys that might be listening to this going into university or even university age players, you know, again, shoot for the star, shoot for the NFL, shoot for the CFL. But if that doesn't pan out, um, don't automatically dismiss or think, you know, it's like, I think you kind of approached it the same way I did, Brandon. It's kind of like, um, you know, uh, it, it's, if you look at it saying, okay, I want to do this because I want to leverage myself to an NFL contract, you're probably going to be disappointed because it's a different mentality, different game, that type of thing. But if you look at this as saying exactly this, I have an opportunity to make a salary, make a living doing something I love while experiencing a completely different culture in a different part of the world. Um, the experience is, is off the charts. And on that, and I'm going to kind of, I'm jumping around here because I actually do want to talk a little about Dubai. What made you decide to pursue the overseas opportunities um, after kind of the, the, the CFL, the opportunity? Cause I mean, you were definitely on the CFL's radar. I mean, for those that haven't met you um, or actually watched you play, um, you clearly have that skill set to play in the pros. And I mean, like, uh, like a lot of guys I've talked to, even pros that play, I mean, in a lot of cases, it, it becomes a numbers game. And I don't want to say luck because everybody that's at that level, they work their ever living butt off to get there. Yeah. But a lot of times being in the right place at the right time, I mean, the right person see you. So there's like, um, when I was talking to Nate, one of the, um, I think it was, he was mentioning Scott Milanovic was talking about, Hey, you know what? He was coaching down in the, uh, in the NFL. And he said, I'm going to tell you something, probably about um, 60% of my, uh, or 50% of the guys on my CFL roster. And I, and I might be getting the number wrong, but it was a high number could play in the NFL. Don't kid yourself. And I mean, and I believe that in the same sense for every guy that's playing in the CFL right now, there's probably three guys that are good enough and, and, and skilled enough to, to play and, and even have five to 10 year careers 
but unfortunately the chips didn't fall where they 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 might have had to so i mean after it kind of didn't pan out in the in the cfl for you what made you kind of embrace the whole uh european venture uh it was after uh, my mini workout in hamilton uh they basically said they're like get overseas and send us some film and i was nice. like all right let's go so i started uh started out on like euro players I got a couple of offers here and there, but it was like, no, it just didn't seem right. So let me like, I started doing research on teams and contacting them differently. And uh, when I came up on the Vikings, I was like, okay, well, I'll ask Gogoro, like, what's it like over there? And before I did, their new head coach, uh, Marquise Anderson, had reached out to me. And he was like, hey, I need a couple of reference letters. And that's when I approached you. Uh, mm-hmm. Ken McAllister, and then I had and Coach Goverall had put in a word, I guess, with the the high the board members, right? So it worked out where they're like, uh, Wayne Jacobs. They're like, the Wayne Jacobs. I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> stop it. <laughs> uh, Thank you. <laughs> so that was cool. Uh, that was like, I just realized, like, man, what else? Like, I taught English overseas for a bit, too, so the travel bug had been. I was like, if I can get there, I can go here, I can go there, and it's, the cost isn't as, like, traveling within Canada, right? So <laughs> at that point in time, it took, like, a year for me to get, like, a solid contract. So that was that was fun. Very cool, very cool. Now, what's, and I mentioned this earlier, so bad on me, but then I kind of jumped into the Oslo thing. What's uh, what's going on now with you? What's going on with Brandon Weeks? What's the future hold? Where are you? Uh, what are you up to these days? Uh, this year, uh, not much. I got a great opportunity with uh, Capital City Academy right now, but that's okay. a big. Uh, it's a big jump. It's playing in the state. Okay, okay. cool. So last, like it was like when I was at Football North, but a, a much much better situation. Um, just waiting on like the border to open, but there's like a lot of development stuff going on and we're starting from a younger age group. So like they get the full experience and the training that they're getting and the coaching that they're getting. It's a well thought out process. So it's super cool being involved in that. Nice, nice. Well, cool. Well, weeks. I won't, uh, like I tell everybody, I always tell you guys, oh, we'll be about 45, 50 minutes, and I always go over the time. So I will uh, I will let you go on this, my friend. I really, really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you kind of going over what I told you would be the time. And I appreciate you kind of covering off on everything we did today. We talked a little about your football experience in Europe, football growing up, and cafe experience. Um, just, yeah. Loved it, man. Really appreciate you being on today, bud. Appreciate you having me, Wayne. Cool. Well, you take- our conversations never have a time limit. So. Yeah, you know what? It's it's exactly that. For people that don't know, and I'll give that last little uh, 
you know, disclaimer, I've, I've had the chance to work with Brandon both as, as a player coach and as a coach coach. And, uh, and one of my interests was uh, kind of getting him anywhere that I've been coaching. So, I mean, that's still open. So we've had numerous conversations, especially uh, during this whole quarantine thing. So it was kind of nice to just sit down and chat, my friend. You take care. Best of, uh, best of luck with the, you got the, the, the little one, obviously, with the fam. And uh, we'll talk soon. All right, Weeks? All right. Take care. All right, you too, buddy. Thanks again. Appreciate it.